Welcome to Birth Mothers Amplified, giving a voice to the women behind adoption. Hosted by Emma and Mathani. Hello, welcome everyone to Birth Mothers Amplified. Emma here. I'm Mathani. And we have our lovely guest, Katie, back. Hello, Katie. Thank you for joining us today. Hey, guys. So we are so excited to jump in today's episode. We're going to talk about a variety of things from very unique perspectives. So we're going to discuss being an adoptee to a birth parent. We're going to discuss open adoption through multiple placements and then also finding biological roots. And so Mathani, please give a proper background um, of Katie. Yes, I'm super excited to have Katie on. Um, She's one of my really good friends. So I'm really glad we get to chat today. Katie is a birth mother of 13 years. She has a passion for helping people, um, enjoys spending time with her dog, Chloe. Um, She loves true crime podcasts, adoption education, and she actually, the this year started a community organization called The Table with her fellow birth mom friend, Lacey, <laughs> who um, is actually going to be coming on the pod um, in a future episode. And so as a reminder, Katie was on our open adoption panel um, with Lacey, and we got to talk a little bit about The Table and hear a little bit of Katie's story, but hopefully we told enough to make you want to come back and hear more because there's so much unique perspective and beautiful insight that she has. So with that, Katie, do you want to go ahead and jump into your story? Sure. So adoption has always been a part of my identity um, because when I was two days old, I was adopted from a local agency and this was the eighties. So everything was closed and I don't really think my parents ever met my birth mom. They um, saw pictures. They knew things about her that the caseworker had told them, but they never actually connected face to face. And so they took me home and, you know, my childhood started and three years later, they went and adopted my younger sister, Hannah. And, um, she's also from a closed adoption, but we're not actually biologically related. So growing up, I really always knew that I was adopted. I've talked to my sister about it before and we don't ever remember anybody sitting us down and having this like life altering discussion Mm -hmm. of, Hey, we have a secret to reveal about you. They were always so good at um, normalizing adoption so that whenever we were old enough to comprehend what adoption meant and what that meant to be an adoptee, we were really proud of it. Um, I remember, you know, it was always my go-to fun fact about me on the first day of school. So that was always great because as an introvert, you know, we freak out about those things. So I always had that down. I remember just always being like, I'm so loved because I have two families that really, really love me because I'm adopted. And, you know, I just have this huge sense of pride. And I think too, a lot of that helped that, you know, I was living life with a sibling who was in my shoes as well. So I think that probably helped normalize it too. But growing up, I just really um, struggled a lot. And I didn't really know back then what was going on. But now I kind of you know, looking back and through going through my story and processing it, I realized that I struggled with my identity a lot and not in the sense of being adopted because I had great confidence in that clearly, but just the fact that I didn't know a lot about who I am. Growing up, I kind of 
didn't really fit in. I had a hard time making friends. And then I started really lashing out um, with, you know, disruptive behaviors. And then when I got to liking boys, um, I really just took off as soon as I had my first crush, became super boy crazy. And I think a lot of that too is like I mentioned, I didn't really make friends easily. And so when I realized that I could get attention from boys, I just really found that comforting. And I was like, okay, well, I didn't have to, you know, work hard for that at all. It was just easier to connect with boys. And so over time it became an unhealthy thing where I was depending on them to define my worth. And, you know, just the more that I put myself in these situations with guys who didn't deserve my time, um, the more that I just really became stuck in this identity of this is what I deserve and became okay with being in toxic relationship after toxic relationship. And so it's no surprise that when I was 18, I ended up finding out that I was pregnant. You know, I remember going into the doctor's office and I was like, uh, I don't think I've had my period in a while. Can you also do a pregnancy test while I'm here? And the doctor came back and he's like, do you have a boyfriend? And I was like, ah, kind of, he's like, well, you're pregnant. So I would go talk to that person. I was like, okay, well, and I remember after that, I (laughs) told my mom and my mom didn't believe me. And so she went back up to the doctor's office with me and, you know, wanted proof that that's what they had told me just because it was, it was hard. Like they had been raising this crazy rebellious teenage girl that no matter what they tried, they just couldn't get me grounded. They couldn't get me to settle down. And so do you think she was in denial or did you think you were pulling a a mean prank? I think probably she just was at a place where I had done so much stuff that she just didn't know what to believe anymore. Mm -hmm. And then too, it could have been a little bit of denial, like, oh no, like Mm -hmm. this is another level of you know, something to have to process as a parent. And so I'm sure that was difficult for her to grasp at first yeah. as well. So after my parents found out and um, my mom, of course, approached me with adoption and she, you know, just brought up you're adopted. So why don't you at least look into it? And it was more of a strong, urgent, um, like, let's do this. And I one was really immature at that time. I was 18 and, you know, just wild. And so I just really kind of took on this headstrong thought of, you know what? No, I can do this. And I really don't want to do what you're telling me to do anyway, because that's kind of how everything went back then and just decided I'm going to raise this baby. So I ended up getting married, um, to the supposed father And he was not a good guy at all. And my parents hated him. He was 13 years older than me. And so I just, you know, got into this relationship with the, you know, the typical thing of, okay, well, I have a baby. So what makes sense? Let's go get married. Obviously that's not the answer um, in a lot of these circumstances, but we were together and I quickly found out that he was abusive. He was crappy beforehand, but He had never really been um, over the top hateful to me. Once, you know, the deal was done and I was his wife, he started really just showing his true character. So, 
it wasn't long. In fact, we didn't even last a month before I told him that I wanted him out because um, he had moved into my apartment. And I said, I'm leaving you and you need to be gone when I get back in the morning. And um, long story short with that, we ended up getting a divorce after I had my child because you can't get a divorce in Texas if you're pregnant. You need to wait until you have the baby because they automatically assume that that's the father and it just makes it more legally complicated. So I got a divorce from him. He didn't even show up. Um, I saw him one more time after I got rid of him and, you know, he's not been a part of my life at all since then. But that really was probably the first relationship that was super toxic that I put myself into. And obviously it wasn't a good situation for a baby. So I'm really thankful that I had the strength to, you know, catch that before it got too bad. Yeah. But then um, I had my son. I was trying really hard um, for, you know, the person that I was in that season. I was really just trying to make it work. And I was working two jobs. I was going to school just trying to get the foundation for, you know, everything I needed to give him the life that I wanted. <clears throat> but six months into it, I just looked around and I was like, I am a child and I don't even know what I'm doing with myself. I can't even regulate my emotions or figure out what I want to do in life. How am I supposed to, you know, set my baby up for success when I'm a mess? And as much as it hurt, I just knew that I couldn't keep going like this. And so thankfully my parents stepped in and said, he's been a part of our lives for six months now. We don't want him to get separated from us. So we would like to adopt him. And so I have an extremely open adoption with him. I see him on a daily basis and he knows everything as far as that I'm his birth mom and that I just loved him so much. And so mom and dad got to raise him and, you know, it's really unique too to get to live life with him because he doesn't have to really question anything because he gets to one, see my love for him every day. But then two, like if he ever needs to think about something or talk about something, I'm right there and he can just ask. So what does he refer to your parents as? So when he was about two, um, my parents were talking to a social worker. The social worker decided that it was really confusing that I was mommy, my mom was mom, and my dad was dad. And so they suggested <clears throat> that I should become Katie. How was that? Well, not good. It was really hard for me to grasp at that young of an age. Um, and just because I'm an emotional person, so I'm very impulsive. I react. I don't really process before reacting, which would be better. Um, <laughs> <but> <laughs> whenever I heard him call my parents mom and dad for the first time, I was really just shocked. And my dad <clears throat> was like, you know, the social worker said this. And, you know, he explained to me of all people, because I'm adopted, he's like, we thought that you would understand. I just reacted with hurt because I was like, okay, I complied and made the decision to let y'all raise him because that was the right thing to do. But now you're going to strip this title of mother away from me because I didn't say that I'm not his mom anymore. I never gave that up. 
that really just stung, especially yeah. for my parents who were so yeah. supportive of adoption and like, just, they're so aware of the complexities of adoption. Yeah. Um, but now I'm like, okay, yeah, it's mom and dad and I'm Katie. And I mean, he, he knows everything now. So that kind of helps too. Well, mm-hmm. and it too, it's important to acknowledge the difference when you place your child for adoption, not at birth because yeah. six months, like, like for me, for example, even while I was pregnant, there was the, my child has different, like a mom and dad. That's not me. Like I had met, you know, met the family and made that decision before I even had my daughter. And so where for you, the plan was to parent. And so you were always mom. And so I feel like that also is just such a different pivot, you know, that that makes it a lot more difficult for parents who decide to place not at birth, but, but, you know, later on. And for two years, you were your title was mom. That's true. Know, or, yeah. or mommy having that stripped away. I can't even imagine like how hard that must've been. Yeah. It's one of those fears that every birth mom has of, you know, not having that title of motherhood recognized. And so I think from the people that I know love me the most for them to not recognize that in that moment, I just felt really betrayed. And so I ended up leaving that day and had to go process that and everything, but yeah. So what was the response, like role and responsibility shift? Cause also, I mean, you were, you know, responsible for everything up until that point. And so even like disciplining and, you know, how did y'all figure out the, the fine line of that? It really shifted from having any role to not having a role at all. Again, like I was just really rebellious at that time. And so whenever I did decide to let my parents adopt him, I ended up coping in a really unhealthy manner. And so I was always gone. I was always out partying or, you know, with boyfriends, just trying to keep myself distracted so that I wouldn't hurt. Just really wasn't present in his, in his life. Like I wish I would have been. Yeah. I was just hurting and I didn't know how to work through that in a healthy manner. That's something I think is hard enough with any open adoption. You get to see so much of the parenting and you might disagree with some of it, which can be hard if there is any disagreement or with closed adoption, you you don't know exactly how they parent. So there's, you don't ever have to face that potential disagreement. But again, I could see it adding a whole other layer when it's your parents raising you know, your son, because you're not just, it's not just an open adoption. You're involved to the day, you know, from the day to day, you know, everything that's going on, but you clearly have a, a very respectful mindset of it all. And that you, yeah. you know, you care what's best for your son. I mean, they definitely do an amazing job. And so it's really just little things anyway, of just like, you know, picking battles and stuff, but um, yeah. it is good that we're so close to one another that, I can voice if I think something could be an option to consider, um, but then also they they trust me and they know that I'm not going to put him in any situation where you know he can't trust my parents anymore or um, yeah you know, do what was asked of them. At two years old, the shift from mommy to Katie happens. So, how soon after that did your daughter come along? 
about three years later, I ended up finding out that I was pregnant again, and I had settled down quite a lot compared to before I went to a local pregnancy center because I thought that I was pregnant and sure enough came out with a positive pregnancy. I immediately just kind of let myself think on everything that had happened with my son and, um, you know, just how difficult that was and how the going through the decision of parenting and then realizing that I wasn't able to give him the best um, at that time. I just didn't want to go through that again. And my parents also, they're aging. And so it's just not fair to put that on them again. I decided that I was just going to go ahead and go to an agency and talk to someone about starting an adoption plan. And I didn't really know what to expect. I knew that there was an agency local to me, so it wasn't any problem just driving up there the same day that I found out I was pregnant, told them everything that was going on and um, knew that I wasn't in a stable place at that time. And then how old were you at this point? I was 20, 21. Yes. I was doing a lot better as far as like, I'm able to take care of me and I was making better decisions. You know, babies are expensive. And also I just got to this place of being a little more stable. So I knew that there had to be something else to consider. So after talking with an options counselor, I decided that this sounded like the best route for me. And they had a dorm at the agency. And so even though I was extremely local to that agency, I decided that I wanted to go ahead and move into the dorm so that I could be with other women who were in similar situations so that I would have, you know, a unique support system. Really that started pretty early because I moved in probably when I was about three months pregnant. I spent most of my pregnancy in the dorm surrounded by other women that were also considering adoption. And that was really helpful. I started to realize that one, that there were women out there who really do decide that they don't want to do this. And honestly, because I'm adopted, I didn't really realize that that was common. And when I was in the dorm, I would say there were three at least that had decided that they were not going to move forward and that they wanted a parent. Isn't that weird when I found out like, oh, like I don't sign anything before for me too. And again, my mom's a birth mom. And so you would think I would be like aware that you can't. Yeah. It's not in stone. That's interesting though, that that stuck with you. And I wonder if that's because of your experience with your prior pregnancy or as an adoptee. Probably as an adoptee, because I just really had this unrealistic Stepford wife situation of adoption. Like that was my view that it was perfect and loving and that it's all positives. Mm. And you know, that this just happens completely bumpy free and, you know, (laughs) everything is seamless. So whenever I did see someone choose to not move forward, I was shocked because I was like, you can do that it did stick with me because I realized that I had a choice and I don't think that that was something that I really went into it thinking. I was like, well, this is what we're doing. Well, and I'm sure so many expectant moms feel that way. I mean, I know so many expectant moms feel that way. A lot of women make a decision based on feeling they have no choice, whatever that is. So you were in the dorms. When did you start to look at families? So probably when I was six or seven months, I started looking at families and I really had, you know, just a basic idea of what I wanted in a couple, 
Um, I wanted a two-parent home. Faith is important to me. So I wanted someone who valued faith and really that was it. I also wanted them to be local. Going off of that, I told my caseworker those were my main points. And Mm -hmm. so she was able to talk with the other caseworkers at the agency to get a good couple of books for me to look through. And I got probably five books at first. They just don't want to overwhelm you with too many choices because there are so many hopeful adoptive parents out there. And aside from choosing what I wanted my child's life to look like, whether it be parenting or adoption, the second most important choice was who is going to raise my baby. Looking through those books, I just really tried to have an open mind. I think a lot of that came from just the fact that I was thinking of my parents and what they must have gone through at the beginning of all of this. And so I just really wanted everybody to have fair chance. And so I was trying to just go in with no expectations. And I kept going back to the same book. I was just really drawn to them. They had a dog, which I really liked. They had a huge family group. And then they had a bunch of friends. They had pictures of them traveling. And then the thing that really stuck out to me was that they wrote love letters about one another. Um, So they were just, you know, sharing with me the things that they loved about each other and what they think would make them a great parent because they didn't have children yet. And so that's really what sold it for me. I just knew in my heart that these are the people. And I quickly, you know, told my caseworker, I don't want to look at any, any other profiles. And so back then, I don't know if it was like required, but they urged me to do a phone call. And I think a lot of that was probably just because they want to make sure you connect with the person before you go, you know, start getting people's hopes high and one, especially with the adoptive parents that might have to travel. I mean, it sounds like this couple was local, but for a lot of couples, they're around the country. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Um, so the phone call was really awkward and I don't really remember anything about it. It didn't leave much with me except for the fact that it was right before Christmas. It was like a week before Christmas. And so it was really awesome that I got to tell them, Hey, I have chose you. Um, you're going to be parents. And for them to get that news right before Christmas just seemed really meaningful. Um, you know, and they cried and they told me that they've been waiting a while and, and that they were just really happy and I already knew what I was having. So I also was able to tell them during that phone conversation that I'm having a little girl. And so we ended up meeting in January with our caseworkers um, for lunch. Again, really awkward. It's like a first date. You're, you don't know what to expect. <laughs> Are they going to like me? Um, am I going to say something that's going to offend them? And then everything's going to be ruined. And um, those were the things that were going through my head. I was more worried about them not accepting me. It was a done deal already on my side. Like they were going to be her parents as long as they didn't run away. It was just effortless. I was able to just create this natural bond with them and they became friends pretty quickly. I think that was a great stepping stone for us to have the relationship that we have now a decade later, because they just really focused on getting to know me and involving me in the little things that, you know, meant so much to me, like going to the baby store and picking out something for the nursery. See, and it's those little things that, again, I wouldn't think of like picking something out for the nursery. I mean, how thoughtful. Do they come to the hospital when you gave birth and all that? I don't know if I actually was told not to have them up at 
the hospital, Mm -hmm. but I do remember getting like this unspoken pressure that it wasn't appropriate. I don't want them to get attached until you're sure. And well, one, I appreciate that because it does take a lot of pressure off of the birth mom and I can be present and focused on my child during that time. I will say that looking back, I wish that they could have been there because while I never will get my alone time with her back, well, the same thing with her mom, she'll never get to have, you know, that memory of seeing her take her first breath. I would say a day after I had her, um, they came up and saw her and got to hold her for the first time. They spent a little bit of time with us and then they left and, you know, let me have that time with her before leaving the hospital. It was great that I was able to be so focused and present um, for her because I'll never get those moments back. Even still today, like when I think of being in the hospital with her and, you know, finally realizing like, I'm gonna leave without her this is the last time I'm going to have her by my side. That's still to this day, just like, it's so heavy. I'm curious about, because, you know, you have two open adoptions is do your son and daughter know each other? Um, and what is that dynamic like? So that's been one of my favorite, um, things that has unfolded probably two years ago. They, we had already been chatting about it. Her mom and I, um, that they're getting older, somebody's going to realize because they look very similar. You can tell that they're related. And I just knew that one of these days they're going to be like, why do they look like me? <laughs> um, so thankfully we were already at least a little prepared of what we would do when we needed to cross that bridge. Um, but we, they were headed to a visit one time and my daughter said, hmm, would he have technically been my brother? And her mom was just like, let's table that discussion until after our visit. And she was able to tell us, hey, she's asking questions. Um, it's time. How and old was so, she at this point? Um, seven or eight. Okay. And I expected my parents to tell my son because that just made sense to me. And both of them were like, okay, let's talk about it. <laughs> Heads turn. <laughs> You're just like sitting there like, oh, Oh, me. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So that was um, probably one of the hardest parenting moments I've ever had Yeah. because it was scary. I didn't know how he was going to react. I didn't know if he was going to be mad um, or if he was going to be hurt that, you know, he got to stay mm-hmm. with me in a sense and she didn't. So we, at this point, <laughs> what do they know? Like they both know that you're their birth mom, right? Mm-hmm. But they just hadn't connected the dots yet. Because he would go with you to visits, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. He was always there. And even, mm-hmm. in fact, when I started the conversation with him, I was like, have you ever wondered why we go see her all the time? And he's like, no. I was like, okay, <laughs> you're making this hard, kid. I was like, does she look like you? Have you noticed that? And he was like, no. I just love it because your daughter <laughs> was the one at eight. He yeah. was like, so yeah. we're technically brother and sister, right? And then your son is like, la, 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 la. <laughs> yeah. She's so in tune and he's just like That's oblivious. So funny. Oh, I love it. So finally I was like, okay, I'm just gonna have to rip off the bandaid because this kid's not getting it. And, <laughs> and he was like, okay, can I go now? That was it. 
So it really wasn't, I was hyping it up to be like, I'm about to get bombarded and put in the hot seat. And yeah. Upset. And no, he just wanted to be done. So he could go play his video games or whatever he was doing. But over time, mm-hmm. he's been able to be like, oh, okay, a lot of that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Hey, I've been wondering this, this, and this. And so we've been able to unpack it more moving forward. But the first time that they got to see each other for a visit after we had told both of them, which is really cool. Her mom had told me before, my daughter is extremely proud of her adoptee roots, but that because she's so transparent about her story, that there are kids who have said, that means you weren't wanted. And Oof. first of all, I cannot believe that children are so hateful. Yeah. Um, but second, like, please tell me she doesn't believe that. Yeah. And her mom was like, of course she doesn't. She knows how much you love her. But knowing that in my mind, I'm like, okay, this is great. Now she has someone that she's known her entire life who is exactly like her, who is in Mm. her same situation, who she can have as full support that she can talk to him about anything that she doesn't feel comfortable talking to anybody else about. And she'll always, you know, have that bond with him of Mm. walking through adoption um with someone that's close to her and they're related they're siblings like that's huge yeah so that's been really cool for me and then just to see them together like he is such a sweet brother you know he'll they'll go play it like Dave and Buster's or something and so he'll be like well she really wants this toy and so they'll work really hard to get all the tickets so that she can have Mm. that and um, you know, just like the sweet little things that really I didn't get to experience before. And so to see that new layer of visits and just watching them discover what it's like to be a sibling. Yeah. And, so is she, uh, is she an only child? Yes, she is. Um, but they ended up getting a divorce a couple years after I placed. Okay. And so they've both remarried and her mom hit her husband has two boys. And so she does have stepmothers. Okay. Okay. Well, and I know that earlier in the episode, when you were talking or speaking to your perspective as an adoptee, you had discussed how much or how helpful it was having your sister who's also an adoptee. Mm -hmm. And so I'm sure having, you know, she has her step siblings, but I'm assuming they're not adopted. And so to have your son, who's also an adoptee and yeah, to walk that journey to get that they have each other. And we've just now gotten to a place where if something sounds fun that the kids can go do together, then all I have to do is say, Hey, are y'all free? Let's go do this and just plan something out. In fact, I get to see them tomorrow and we're going to go to the zoo. How exciting. Oh, I love that. Now, something I realized we hadn't asked earlier, and it's relevant a little bit to both, but for the birth fathers, for the first one, your ex-husband, like, did he have to sign his rights away? Was he, like, willing to do that? I don't think so. I I don't think that any of the possibilities were compliant. Um, I don't really know much about that. My parents hired a lawyer, and they took care of all of that. Just knowing those people, no, it probably was not an easy situation. <laughs> yeah. So mm-hmm. it sounds like neither of them have um, entered your children's lives. No. Okay. To clarify, with my daughter, um, her, I do know who her biological father is. And he was um, compliant. And he said, okay, if this is what you think is best, then yes, I'll sign it. Did he meet but her? 
no. And I've asked before if he's ever like reached out for an update and he has not. So Katie, to kind of come full circle, uh, I would love for you to share with our listeners what it's been like the past several years trying to, you know, discover your biological roots. Yeah. So earlier I touched on how I had a lot of identity issues, just struggling with figuring out who I was, what made me um, the person that I am. And so growing up, I did always wonder. And in fact, I remember making ridiculous stories up about, oh, they must be these famous actors and actresses (laughs) live these glamorous lives. So it was already in my mind that I wanted to know someday, but because I was a product of a closed adoption, I couldn't find out any information until I was 18. And at that point I could unseal my records. Well, the agency that I was placed with they had an extra little rule to where if you want to unseal your records, you have to pay this ridiculous price. And so an 18 year old does not have that kind of money. I immediately was discouraged, but my mom ended up getting me for my 18th birthday, the lower level of that. So it's your adoption record, but there's still a lot of redacted information. So anything that could have connected me to someone as far as, you know, contact information or last names or anything identifying, it was whited out. Um, Wait, so that's, the rules are through the agency? I thought it was legally. So I don't know the answer to that, but I, I think it could have just been like an admin fee or something. I did get a court order to unseal. And so that was really easy. I just found um, the information online and I had to pay $10. And all I had to provide was my birth certificate and another form of ID and a judge signed off on it. Like maybe 30 minutes tops is how long I waited. When I began digging through that, my mom helped me looking through social media. So I found my birth mom's MySpace page, a sister's Facebook page. And then there was a phone number in my adoption records So when I called that number, nobody answered, of course, Um, (laughs) just to make it more dramatic. I just left a voicemail and said, hey, um, I was adopted and this is my birth mother's name. And I think it's possible that you might be my grandparents. A couple hours later, they called me back and their phone number was exactly the same from the 80s. And they were thrilled to hear from me. So pretty quickly into that conversation, I found out that my birth mom is an addict, but I found out when I was talking to my grandmother at that time, that at that time she was actually incarcerated and she was in jail. Mm -hmm. So the first time that I ever met her, I went up to the jail and got to meet her through glass. Um, Wow. Even to this day, I cannot tell you how I felt about that. Disappointed is probably the best word to use. And it's been a really thin line of deciding whether I'm feeling positively about this connection or negatively. I finally reached this place of knowing that, okay, one, this is who she is. She's not going to change. She's been this way my entire life. Um, And, you know, in the 10 years that I've known her, she's only gotten worse. It's just, you know, addiction is just part of her story. And I can either choose to love her regardless, or I can decide that I don't want to have anything to do with her. And that's how my half 
sisters feel because they grew up watching her vicious cycle of addiction. Oh, so you have siblings, biological siblings. Okay. Yeah. Starting all of this, I found out that I had two sisters, two younger sisters. They both really just don't care for my birth mom just because she's put them through a lot. They were just so supportive and let me kind of figure it out on my own. And to be honest with you, because she's progressed to worse drugs and like just worse decisions since I've known her. So it's been hard. Like, I can't tell you that I exactly know how I feel about my birth mom, but I can tell you that I do have love for her. And I know that I'm very thankful for the strength that she had in deciding to place me for adoption because I, obviously I know my life would have been very different for that. I, I have nothing but love for her. But I would not sacrifice any of that difficulty um, or navigating that heaviness for the relationship that I have with my grandparents and my uncle and my sisters and my cousins. There's just so much good that has come out of it that the disappointment really, it's just a part of the story and it's not even significant anymore. Um, It's just, it's just what it is. Well, and I think you you put it so well earlier when you said you have a right to that information. Um, I think every adoptee has the right to know where they came from. Have you also been able to find your birth father? Like, do you know his family? So that's probably the most recent development to my little search. I have always known that there was, you know, a name that was in my records and there was a little bit of information about him that my birth mom met him at an AA meeting and that they had a little fling and he had a girlfriend at the time. So when she showed up pregnant, he didn't want the girlfriend to know that he had had a fling with my birth mom. So he quickly signed the papers and said, please don't ever contact me again. And so when I first unsealed my records, I ended up somehow finding him and I called him and we talked for probably an hour and, you know, he was able to tell me that he was sad to hear that my birth mom had turned out the way that she has. And, um, he had gone on to live a sober life and, um, that he was doing well and he never had any other kids. And so he said that he would meet me and he ended up standing me up, but I was like, I'm getting my closure and you agreed to meet me. And the fact that you stood me up, like, I feel like that gives me the right to force you to wow, yeah. me and acknowledge me. So I ended up knocking on his door one day and, um, he gave me some lame excuse about how I needed to leave. Cause his wife would be home in five minutes and that, you know, she didn't know blah, blah, blah. So <clears throat> I was like, okay, well, I got my closure and it's unfortunate that you don't want to have a connection with me because I'm not asking for anything except Mm. for you to know me. We'll just leave it at that. So for a while, I really did just let it go because I was hurt that he didn't want to have anything to do with me. This was 2011. So a year after um, I had placed my daughter. So I had had the information for about a year at that point. And Christmas last year, I ended up getting an ancestry DNA kit and I did that and I got the results back in about January or February and it brought back, you know, this hope of, okay, well now I'm going to look for him again. And so I searched his name in Google and the only thing I could find was an obituary 
And I remember in that moment, I was sitting in front of my parents. So it was so awkward of just like, you know, I was just trying to be respectful of how that would make them feel. And as soon as I got in my car, I lost it. I cried the entire way home and I was just wrecked. I didn't have full confirmation it was him because it was a very short obituary. It was literally like this guy passed away on these dates and that was it. There was no, you know, living relatives. There was no explanation of death. It was just very short. So I kind of was just like, okay, well, I'm pretty sure this is him. So just recently, like in September, I finally decided, you know what? He's gone and I need closure. I ended up looking up his information and I found his address of where he last lived. And, you know, under this people search, I found other names of the residents from that house. So I went to Facebook and I found one of the people's names and I just wrote him. I said, Hey, your name is listed under this address. This was my biological father. This is what has happened. I saw an obituary. Like, I just need any information you have. So my surprise by the afternoon, he had already wrote me back and he's like, Hey, I'm at work right now. I do know your birth father. Unfortunately, he passed in 2014 from esophageal cancer. He was like, after work, I will call you and answer any questions you have. So I spoke to him later that afternoon and we talked on the phone. He gave me as much information as he could, but unfortunately he said that my birth father didn't ever talk about his past. He knew that he had a hard one because he had offered him a beer before. And that's when he found out that he was a recovered alcoholic. They also were able to tell me that he went to church regularly, which really touched me because he just had like this weird story. Like he was a mystery, even to the people that were closest to him. And so this man that you got to speak to, are you related to him? No, his mom was married to my birth father. Technically would have been like a stepbrother. Okay. Okay. So did you, um, end up meeting anyone else from that side of the family? Well, after talking with both him and his mom, they gave me as much information as they could. They let me know that, you know, uh, one of my biological uncles had already passed, but that he was married to this person. And so I was able to track her down on Facebook. And honestly, I didn't hear from that portion of the family until today. That's a huge development um, just in me getting more closure and finding out, you know, if this is really my birth father. Can I just say, I admire you for so many reasons, but once again, you tell this part of your story with so much consideration of others. Like the fact that you wanted to be conscientious of reaching out to your birth father's side and not wanting to bring baggage and all of those things. And that you're so considerate of everyone involved. I mean, what a story, what a story. And you have, the three of us have in common is we have found community, whether it's within our friend groups or family, but also with other birth moms or, you know, Katie, I'm sure you have an adoptee community as well. I'm super excited about you and Lacey's um, community organization, The Table. Um, Tell us about it. Tell us what brought it on, what you hope for it. Um, Tell us all the things. Sure. So Lacey and I have been talking about this for probably about a year um, before we actually put anything into action, but we both met um, at a support group that was 
provided by an agency that we both placed with. And we learned through that, that that's not always the best setting for birth moms to gain support and connection. A lot of times birth mothers more, uh, more often than I realized are not taking advantage of the resources available to them post-placement because they are connected to the place that has all this hurt in their story. Um, whether they feel positively about the agency or not, they're still connected to that trauma and that loss of losing a child. So we just started talking about how can we how can we go around this? How can we make a place where it's casual and um, welcoming for birth moms to just meet one another and gain support in community? And so we finally just said happy hours. Like who doesn't love to get together over drinks um, and food? You know, by July of this year, we were ready to launch an organization together and decided that it's gonna be a place for birth parents to connect and it's gonna be real casual. It's literally sitting down at the table, having a very laid back conversation, organic connection, and just, you know, meeting with friends and talking about whatever we need to talk about at that point in time. So we haven't started events yet because 2020 ruined everything, you know, um, that's the typical thing, <laughs> but yep. we are hopeful to launch our first ever birth parent event in late January of 2021. So exciting. Oh my gosh. So exciting. We can't wait. That's just so cool. I can't wait to see how that takes off and how many um, birth parents just really benefit from coming together and having a drink and some apps, you know, so, <laughs> you know, if anybody is interested in watching out for that future event, they can find us on Instagram or Facebook at the table DFW. So if you're a birth parent in the DFW area, be on the lookout for an event, hopefully coming soon, crossing our fingers. Katie, I'm just, I just love you. And I'm so glad you were able to spend a couple hours with us today and just share your story, share your insight. I'm sure we'll have you back on the pod if you, you're willing for, um, a future episode. Yeah, are you kidding? We're on a cliffhanger. We have to yeah. hear what happens next. Yeah, that's <laughs> to our listeners. Thank you so much for being here for another episode of Birth Mothers Amplified. Um, we are so thankful for your support um, each week, and uh, tune in next week for another episode. Um, bye, bye. Birth Mothers Amplified is brought to you by the Gladney Center for Adoption and Adoption.com. Make sure to subscribe, leave a review, and check us out on Facebook and Instagram at Birth Mothers Amplified. The views expressed may not represent the views of this program or sponsors and should not substitute seeking the advice of licensed professionals. To speak with an adoption counselor, please call 1-800-236-7898. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.